Hello and welcome to Helpline in Focus. This is where we take the time to explore parenting topics in greater depth. I'm talking deep dives into challenges like fussy eating, fussy eaters, I should say, non-sleepers and tantrum throwers. Each Thursday at 12 p.m. Australian Eastern Standard Time, we'll invite one expert from Babyology's Parent School to join us on Facebook Live. You'll be able to answer your own questions either live or through our Facebook helpline group. See the links below this video or in the notes of the podcast. And that chat will then be podcast the following Saturday. Today, we're speaking about speech impediments with speech and language pathologist Sonia Bestulik. Hello, Sonia. How are you? Hi, I'm doing really well. Thanks for having me. It's a pleasure. Now, let's get stuck into some of these questions. The first one comes from Freya in Melbourne. She says, my son seems to understand everything we say to him, will point and take us by the hand to show us things. But when it comes to saying words, he's very reluctant. He's two and four months old, and I would say he has about 20 words and rarely connects the two. Should I worry? Okay. Well, generally when I'm asked, should I worry, uh, my, my usual response is don't worry, get informed and take action uh, and follow your gut. So to answer that one, uh, around the, the two years or two years, four months, as this little one is, um, typically kids will have around the 50 single words and they're starting to combine a couple of words together. What is fantastic is that this little one is communicating so, you know, the pulling, the pointing, yes, we'd love to encourage more words and to connect those words. I think the next steps would be first up, and I'll go just with precaution to start with, we'll always say, get the hearing checked and rule out that and make sure that that's all going okay. The second one is that with understanding of language being okay, there can be a tendency for little ones to get frustrated if their needs are not getting met and and they're kind of being compromised by not having the words that they need to communicate fully what they want. So the next steps would be some really general strategies that I would offer um, would be to model what it is that your child is asking for. So if he's pointing to a banana, you might say, oh, banana, you want banana banana and so you're kind of modeling with simple one to two words um, so that you're making your sentences shorter and more able for your child to potentially repeat Um, and then just look at some quality times in in your day-to-day where again you can provide opportunities for your child to communicate. So what does that mean? Obviously not filling in everything for your child, not being super easy and going, okay, I know he wants the banana, so I'm going to give him the banana. Understand what he can and can't say. Don't be forceful, but be natural about it. And that's where the modelling is really lovely. Um, Book sharing is really lovely as well to have a nice um, natural interaction where your child's not hungry, thirsty and desperately needing something, but is more relaxed you know, during book time or during playtime where you can do some of that modelling and just in a relaxed way encourage some words. If um, a child is frustrated and a mum or dad or carer can see that, um, you know, would the next step be to touch base with a speech pathologist? Absolutely. And there's no harm in 
even you know popping popping someone for an appointment in a month's time or a few months time to give you some time to implement some strategies um, now I know Siobhan I, I don't know how much we'll talk about it but we did actually put together a, what's called a get talking program where I do go into in more depth those key kind of six strategies that parents and carers can use to get kids talking. So that that could be another interim step to trial strategies before taking that formal approach of seeing a speech pathologist, if that's what it comes to. Yeah, no, that's perfect. And what we'll do is we'll put links in the notes of this Facebook Live or in the podcast, if you're listening to the podcast, on those steps that... Um, Sonia just outlined it is part of the parent school. So there are, you can book one-on-ones with Sonia as well. So it's absolutely perfect time to mention that. Um, so if you're listening and you think, well, maybe I need to speak with Sonia, um, the cons- consults are via video link. So you can be there with your child. You could talk to Sonia and you can get some advice from that or from the package. You can uh, check it out on the website. So we'll put those links in. But that's a great start for Freya, I think. This one comes from Kristen in Dubbo. She says, my three-year-old recently got grommets put in and already his speech is sounding a lot clearer. My question is, will it just continue to improve on its own or should I have him in speech therapy to improve his speech sounds? Okay, awesome. I love it when grommets go in and a kid's speech and language improves pretty quickly. And often we see that happen. So that is fantastic. Is speech therapy an absolute requirement for the speech sounds to improve? It really depends on how clear her child is overall. So as a rough guide, um, you're basically looking at for a three-year-old that a third person, so not mum or dad or a carer, but a third person listening to your child, are they understanding them about 75% of the time? Uh, so if the parents doing still doing a lot of translating for their child, then that's when you might go, okay, let's see a speech pathologist, let's get a formalised, structured approach to this. But if there's that improvement, and usually it's really quick, so if that improvement is happening quickly and daily and weekly, kind of going, yes, we're seeing that really fast progress, keep that broad measure in mind. Is that third person, an aunt or someone that doesn't see my child often, are they understanding them, you know, about 75 percent of the time. Now, if that's the case, thumbs up, right? So that means things are going well. But if there's a lot of that translating going on or the child's getting frustrated, that's when you want to start taking those more formal steps. In the interim, I'd say, again, modelling strategies are really good. So if your child does say something that's not quite accurate in terms of speech sounds, just model it back. So if they say, oh, there's a tar over there. Oh, there's a car. Look at that car. It's a big car and move on. So there are little things that we can do in the day to day to just keep modeling those accurate speech sounds. When they're this age, should you ever be correcting them? I mean, you mentioned there that you're modeling. So you're saying, oh, there's a car, not a but should tar. you ever say it's not <laughs> yeah. Should you ever actually turn to your child and say, that's not how you say hospital. This is how you say hospital. <laughs> well, what's been found is that modelling in a way where you're not directly correcting, when you're not doing that, you're actually more effective because when a child hears, oh, it's not tar, it's car, what they've done is they've heard tar once and they've heard car once. So it's almost like they negate, right? Mm. But what you would have heard me do very quickly in that example was the child says, oh, there's a tar, And then your response would be, a car, look at that car, it's a big car. 
So they've said tar and you've modelled it back three times where they're hearing it accurately. So that's the effectiveness that comes with modelling. The other thing is kids get really frustrated when we nitpick on how they say stuff because the reason they're communicating is to get a message across and to share something with you. So when we ignore that and go, it's not how you'll say, you know, whatever, and we, <laughs> it's like, oh, my gosh, and then it kind of also just chips away that speaking confidence, which we don't want to do. So modelling is like super awesome, super effective and a really natural way to model and to help as best you can. Yeah, that's a great point. This question comes from Shania or Shania? Shania in Perth. She says, my four and a half year old is a constant chatter with what I think is a very good vocabulary. The problem is he rushes his words and makes some mistakes in terms of diction. So while we can understand him perfectly, strangers have trouble. I'm worried about what this means for him making friends as he is shy in preschool. How do I help? Okay, so modelling can come in here as well. And the modelling comes in with modelling of rate. So how fast? Because again, the trap that can be fallen into here is correcting. Oh, you're talking too fast and so so and slow down and you know, all those kinds of things that as parents would be the natural thing to respond with. But again, if you choose a time and let's say it's sharing a, a book together each day and you've got that five minutes, that's a really awesome time that you can play play games where you're asking questions or talking about the story and you're saying, okay, let's, you know, what happened here? Or Spot went to the park. What did he do? Uh, He went, or where did he go? He went to the park. Now, if your child then responds with a, I'll say an appropriate rate or a good rate, then you can acknowledge that not going over the top, but you can say, fantastic, your words were nice and clear or great, I could hear all your words, like something general like that. Um, For us, and I'm getting a bit clinical, sometimes we'll associate an animal to the rate. So for some kids that are really fast, we'll say, what animal goes really fast? And they'll think of one, they might say, oh, a cheetah. And so we kind of have that conversation. Sometimes when you talk, it's a bit going so fast like a cheetah. What's an animal that goes a bit slower? And then the the child thinks of one that makes sense to them. And so we go with that. Oh, a cat. Okay, well, how about when we look at this story, we're going to use our words a bit slowly like a cat does. Not too slow like a snail, but like a cat. And then you kind of use that association. So they're little things that are more fun and play-like as opposed to correcting them on the spot. Um, And again, that's really important for confidence. Um, If the child is very self-aware, it's also going to, you can have that explicit conversation. So it's going to be helpful to just explicitly say, you know, sometimes when you go a little bit fast, it can be a bit tricky for people to understand you. So how can we slow down? Let's do this together. Um, So it's not about singling them out. With the shyness aspect and the confidence, the big thing here is keeping the child confident with speaking. That's really, really important. That's why that positivity and, you know, making it fun and all of that is is really, really key. Um, So in social settings, um, it's important to not not pull the child up, obviously, in front of others, but to really give lots of opportunities for your child to practice their speech rate in a social setting. So if it's about to go to, say, a relative's place or something like that, if you've had that time one-to-one where you've practiced your, you know, talking like a cat or whatever you want to call it, then you can use that prompt and you can then focus on when your child does use that rate. Um, But that opportunity for practice is really, really important um, to build that confidence. Yeah. 
Our next question comes from Renee in Bathurst. She says, my little girl is going to be five in a few months and still can't say L or R sounds. I've read that the R sound will come, but she should be getting the hang of her L's by now. What can I do to help her? Well, the theme I think today is modelling. <laughs> um, again, like right now, modelling strategies, again, would be the big one uh, in the day to day. So going in and trying to correct and say, put your tongue here and, you know, do this, um, that would not be the ideal way to go. And that's simply because that's where a professional like a speech pathologist needs to come in and look at, you know, the physical structures, the coordination, what's happening, and then decipher what are the cues that are going to work for this child. And once they've worked that out, then it's very much about you know, training the parent as to what to do at home with those very specific instructions. So yeah, modeling definitely and following up to get those specific cues. I think my husband and I did too much modeling because neither of our child, <laughs> neither of our children, I should say, shut up. Oh my goodness, my family, they just talk incessantly. And I think it's our fault because we do as well. Anyway, <laughs> I'm not sure that's something a speech pathologist can help us with. Um, our next question comes from Terry in Melbourne. Terry says, I have a five-year-old who never stops talking, but man, does he mumble. He rushes words into each other and seems lazy when it comes to finishing the words or almost as though he doesn't want to wait to get them out to move on to his next subject. Vocabulary <laughs> is excellent, frequently describes things in details and tells fantastic, complex stories. But I worry that when he starts school, his creativity and vocab will be missed because he is hard to understand. How can I get him school ready and remind him that not everyone's ears can cope with his 100 mile per hour speech? Maybe I should listen to this one. Oh, gosh. Well, I have to say this five-year-old sounds amazing. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, I think in terms of, you know, the speech rate, it's very similar to what we talked about before in terms of modelling um, and opportunities to practice in a, in, a, in a situation that is fun, like books or playtime. Um, this is a child I would assume, again, will have a level of self-awareness, is quite bright, wants to get a lot out. So we do want to nurture that. We actually want to nurture that and keep that confidence there. So um, encouraging or acknowledging that you've got some really you know, good stories to tell and, and, and making sure we're doing that to start with is important. But then the second is practicing how do we slow that rate down. So I'd go back to some of those strategies we talked about before, you know, with the animal associations and that child making that link um, so that, okay, I need to, um, you know, talk more like a whatever animal works for them um, and then the opportunities to practice. When we talk about mumbling, there's often two things that go on. It can be the rate together with a low voice volume. So there we've just got to be aware that we're giving praise to and practicing raising the voice volume. So speaking up a little bit more, because when a child does that, or even an adult does that, it automatically slows the speech rate down. So depending on what's happening for this five-year-old, is it more the rate or is it more the volume that's contributing to the child being hard to understand and then choosing which one it is and focusing on that one to give the feedback to and the praise to. 
This question, our next one, comes from Michael in Sydney. He says, hi there, I'm a school principal, so I feel I should have picked this up sooner. But my daughter has just started kindergarten and is having issues reading. I think because of her speech sound disorder. When it comes to phonics, she gets tripped up because she can't say certain sounds. We're in the process of getting her hearing tested. But do you have any tips for working on reading alongside a speech sound disorder? Yeah, so this this can be um, it takes a it's a delicate balance this one. And again, I think the primary thing here is that we want to keep the confidence up when it comes to reading. So it is common for children who have a history of speech and language difficulties to then go on to potentially have difficulties with reading, spelling, and writing. So here, in terms of learning the reading for the parent they're often aware of which sound or sounds their child is having trouble with so it's important when co-reading with them and looking at the words to be able to differentiate is this a word or is this a sound sequence where I would expect my child to be able to accurately read this so if they're having trouble with the cut sound then reading cat I would know okay they're going to struggle with this one But if it's a word like bus and I know they've got all those sounds, my expectation is that we should be able to sound this out together. So get the expectations aligned. That's the first one, knowing the sounds that they struggle with so that you're not necessarily expecting them to decode that accurately. Model, come in and model. So if they're coming up to a word where it has one of the sounds they're struggling with in terms of pronunciation, you can fill it in and model it for them during this time that they are refining their speech sound system and building accuracy in it. So modeling it and filling it in and encouraging the child to get success is is really, really important. We've got to build in that success. So they would be the key tips. The other one, and I'm assuming this child is accessing speech pathology services if they have speech sound difficulties. Um, speech pathologists do a lot of work on pre-literacy skills and what we call phonological awareness skills. So having the speech pathologist also look at that area for this child and you know, assess it and look at how is all that progressing is going to be really important. So um, just looking at, at those two features, the modelling, the phonological awareness, keeping the confidence up with reading is going to be important. Um, I would throw in there um, audiobook listening um, is, is a fantastic and valuable tool to add into the day-to-day. Um, and again, just daily book sharing. So for this child, we want to make sure that reading books, stories uh, all have a positive association because we're, we're, I'm looking at long term and the academic, you know, how much reading comes into play and obviously being a principal, the principal would know. Um, but looking long term, that is the key focus, positive association with reading, with story, with books, building in success and having that speechy um, also be looking at phonological awareness and, and looking at the early reading skills too. This is more a general question I'm curious about. Um, So both my children, they're a bit older now, they're seven and nine, but they've had different speech issues as they've been growing up. My daughter, when she was quite young, used to stutter. My son still um, mixes up words and can't say certain letters. And I admit most of the time when I looked at that, I always assumed they'd grow out of it. Um, Is it the case that you know, generally speaking, most children will 
grow out of those little speech impediments or um, should we, am I a bad parent? Should I I be, I mean, I'm quite happy to put my hand up and say that I am, but um, at what point do we involve a speech pathologist? Well, it's going to be different depending on how old the child is uh, and what's going on. So if we're just talking about speech sounds, so the pronunciation of sounds, because speech pathologists work on heaps of areas of communication, but if we're just looking at speech sounds and accuracy accuracy of sounds, um, different sounds are expected at different times in life, basically. So we would expect, and I'm just going to jump right to when a child starts school, we would expect that by the time a child starts school, so they're starting kindy, that they are understood pretty much by 100%, 100% of the time by anyone that they speak to in terms of their clarity of speech. And then the sounds that are still residual that they may not quite have yet, uh, starting kindy, typically they won't yet have the TH sound. So often thumb has a uh, thumb, like TH is F, like that kind of um, substitution. Um, and then the R sound, as we talked about earlier, the R might not be developed yet either. So the R might go to a W, you know, carrot is cowet, that kind of thing. So that helps to give a little bit of an idea that by the time they start school, really their clarity should be there um, and there could be those couple of residual sounds not yet, there, not yet there. The one that's really common is a lisp and I get asked a lot about a lisp so I'm going to throw this in because I'm sure that people are listening going oh what about so a lisp is basically when the te- uh, tongue comes through the teeth for an s or a z sound basically so Sonia becomes Thonya that kind of thing. Now, that can be really cute when they're quite little. So when does it become something that a speech pathologist will step in and and help with? Typically by, you know, between four, four and a half, they've usually outgrown it. So come that four and a half mark, if there's still a very prominent lisp there, um, that's often when seeking help from a speech pathologist is helpful. And it's not like a long, long time of therapy, but it's really about just what are the cues and what are the, what's the practice we need to build in here. Um, and getting that done and dusted before school starts is really helpful, <laughs> basically, yeah. for yeah. something like that. Um, we have another question from Emma. Uh, she says, I have a 15-month-old. How many words should she be saying and when can I expect her first explosion? <laughs> I think she <laughs> yeah. has about 10 or 15 words. Awesome. So, yeah, so look, 15 months and the fact that there are words is fantastic. So first words generally appear between the 12 to 18 months kind of window. So that's sounding very typical to me. And the explosion, uh, the big explosion typically happens, you know, around the two, two to three uh, kind of stage and age. So, um, yeah, so that's when, you know, words are starting to be combined and the vocab just, we'll use the word explodes again, but yeah, a lot happens at age two and between two and three. So there's a lot to look forward to. um, And, you know, those modelling strategies come into play beautifully, as as I'll mention again, audio books and book sharing every day are just brilliant ways to keep boosting, you know, those words. And I guess uh, uh, one question I might uh, finish up with is, again, Imagining what parents everywhere always want to know, 
baby's first words parents can often my my husband is happy to say that dada was first I think for both of our kids and I was like sure I'm not going to be offended um is are there certain words that are easy for them to say or is it about what they hear more often because I'm fairly sure every minute he had with them he was going dada dada dada." Yes, and that's a couple of really good points. So the exposure to words is really important. You know, the more often that we're hearing a word and exposed to it, that that's modelling, right? So that's what's happening there. There are sounds that are more easy. Um, and the first sounds, um, now I don't know if this is going to make you feel better or worse, but <laughs> the first sounds. It's mama, right? <laughs> the first sounds are mm, like the M, the P, B, like P and B, uh, and the W. So mm, P, B, W, they're when the lips come together. So um, we call them bilabial sounds. So they're the very first ones that typically happen. Um, but then, you know, babies play and they babble with sounds all the time. And and d and t they they're pretty close in there too as are the ones they play with so he may have had a one-up on you and just throwing it in there a lot more often <laughs> he'd say it's because you know he has the greatest influence uh, well Sonia thank you so much for your time but before I let you go I just uh, think it's worth talking a little bit about that program you mentioned um, a little bit more about what it is and, and why parents might access it so can you tell us a little bit more about that yeah, so the Get Talking program is a program that um, we've put together simply because parents, and there were some today too, they're wanting to know how to best nurture their child's communication and get them talking, which is why it's aptly called Get Talking. And so it's basically got nine learning modules in there and videos as well and handouts and references, etc. cetera. Um, so I basically go through the typical stages of development um, um, and we also then get really practical. So what are some wonderful practical tips and strategies that we can do in our day-to-day that's really going to boost speech and language development and vocabulary? Um, and it's coming from a place of really you know, looking at the strength of our communication skills and the stronger we can build that foundation for our children, we're then setting them up to be in a fantastic place to be able to learn how to read, write and spell when they get to school, but also to use their communication when they're navigating and developing friendships and wanting to maintain friendships and, you know, using communication in that social way. Um, So, yeah, so the program is just I guess the biggest plus is that you can do it at your own pace um, and the video demos are just really valuable to be able to just know okay how can I do this in my day-to-day in a really easy way that's simple yet really powerful with the results we get with boosting kids communication skills. And what age range would you say it's appropriate? Yeah focus is very much the birth to four-year-old so yeah. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for answering all those questions and thank you for the questions you've given us online. And uh, I will mention that apart from the program, Sonia is also one of our experts at Babyology's Parent School. So there'll be links in this Facebook Live messages in the comment section or on the podcast notes. We'll be back next week talking about breastfeeding challenges. So if you have a question for our breastfeeding expert, don't forget to add them to the Facebook helpline group. There's also links for that below or in the notes of the episode. 
I'm Siobhan Hunt. See you then. Feed, Play, Love is a babyology podcast produced and presented by me, Siobhan Hunt. I'd love to hear from you. So if you'd like to get in touch, email me at feedplaylove at theparentbrand.com.au. See you next time.